Well, good morning, Grace Life. Good to be with you today. My name is Tommy Clayton, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Life. And if I had not had the pleasure of meeting you in person yet, I would very much love to do that and connect and catch up after the service. So please come up and introduce yourself. Uh, if you can't do that, we have some connect cards in the back. We don't pass an offering plate here, uh, but our people give faithfully. And, and if you want to do that, you can certainly do that on your way out. We'll have a box there in the foyer. And uh, you can fill out a Connect card, any questions you have, if you need help, if you need counseling, if you have questions about discipleship, membership, baptism, any of that, we would love to hear from you and and get connected with you. Before we pray and jump into this passage, uh, I wanted to share with you one of our elders, Steve Ekman, and I believe Ken Ken Osborne is on this trip too, is he not? Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's, at, it's called After the Storm, it's a Samaritan's Purse ministry, and I think this will be, these, these guys have taken about uh, 15 something dozen trips now, haven't they? And uh, I, I'm, I'm terrible at remembering, they leave so early, they leave at 5.30 in the morning, and Steve always texts me and reminds me, this is an incredible ministry to people who are left in the wakes of just total destruction, it's hard to wrap your mind around what all the storms and the flooding and the hurricanes, what happens down in the southern southeastern part of the U.S., and they've gone to Alabama, they've gone to Louisiana, they've gone down to Florida, and they're bringing the hope of the gospel with them, not just cleaning up and hugging people, but sharing the hope that they have in Christ. And so I wanted to pause and pray for their trip, pray for their time. There's a cold front sweeping through there now, and uh, lots of challenges always accompany that trip, but they always meet those challenges. God's always glorified, and we hear some incredible testimonies when they come back. So let's pray for that team and pray for our time together, and then we'll jump right in here. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have raised up men and women uh, with a heart of compassion that they get from your heart of compassion to reach out to people in need who are at their wit's end, who have no human hope left. They've lost everything. They've lost loved ones. They've lost their health. They've lost their house, their, their car, their transportation, maybe their job, and they don't know where to turn or who to turn to for help, Lord. And you bring a group of men and women who represent, uh, represent you, represent your love, represent your rescue and your help. And uh, Steve and Ken and Bobby and many others are, are down doing that right now, this very week, this very moment. I pray for them, strengthen them, give them safety, give them health, give them divine conversations and appointments. May your spirit move in every conversation and prayer and encounter that they have, Lord, and and may they show the love of Christ, and may they talk about the love of Christ, and may your Holy Spirit drive that truth home, and please be with us this morning. Lord, we we have been doing this for uh, on our seventh year now, and I don't ever want this to become so familiar that we begin to trust in ourselves, or that this week you'll do again what you did last week. We don't need to talk to you. We don't need to feel our dependency. We don't need to feel our desperation, but we do, Lord, and I feel it. I feel my, my humanity today. I am weak. I am frail. I'm slow. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. My mind is exhausted, Lord. And I know many would, would give that same description of where they're at today. Maybe they drug themselves here this morning for a reason they can't even explain or describe. But you, you're in it. You brought them here. And I pray you would feed them, Lord. Take, this, take these loaves of bread and these fish and, and feed a, a multitude today, Lord. Fill them with your presence and with your love and with your power and with your assurance. May they see Jesus in in new, powerful, fresh, beautiful ways today and leave here changed forever. We can't do this, Lord. We could never, we could never, Lord, uh, have the audacity to think that's something we could accomplish. We need your Holy Spirit to come. Please 
Holy Spirit, come and help us today. Open our eyes, open our hearts, show us the power and beauty of Jesus, and make the gospel even more real to us than it was when we came in here today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we talked about suffering and hardship, and it's all over this passage. There's, there's suffering here, there's affliction here, uh, and it also says that we boast in our suffering, we boast in our affliction. I told you, when the word affliction or tribulation or trouble or suffering is used in the New Testament, very often there's a Greek word that is used that means pressure. It means to be squeezed, and what oozes out of you when you're squeezed. It's the same word that was used when people would press an olive to get the oil out or squeeze or trample on grapes to get the precious wine and the grape juice out. And that's the word used here. Do you feel pressure right now, maybe, from the outside, from the, the world, from the inside, from your own flesh, from your failing health, from uh, politics, from economics? from whatever it is, we all feel pressure. And the kind of pressure he's talking about here is one that you feel that your faith is threatened, that you're questioning, is God really for me? Is God within me? Does he love me? Is he going to provide for me? Is he going to care for me? And Paul says, through tribulation, through affliction, we can have confidence. We can have hope that God, yes, he is with you. He is for you. He does love you. He does want you. He's not going to abandon you. And because of that, in your affliction, in your, in your worst moment as a Christian, you can rejoice. And that word means you can boast, you can glory, you can brag in this, you can celebrate, even in your suffering, because you know what God is accomplishing in that suffering. We talked about a few things last week. We know that God, through suffering, very often grows us, doesn't he? He stretches us. He puts spiritual muscles in our life. Suffering is a classroom isn't it? Suffering is a gymnasium. We don't grow without it. When's the last time you heard somebody say, you know what? The last three years of my life have been so trouble-free. It had been so easy. I mean, I look at my bank account. It's full. Uh, look at my relationships. They're easy. People respect me. I drive on highways that nobody else is on, and I don't have to wait in waiting rooms. And I tell you, I've grown so much as a believer because of that. Have you ever heard that? No, and you won't because that not, that's not God's way. We think it is, we want it to be, but it's not. You don't grow except when you go through pain and pressure. God squeezes you, and what comes out of you, if you're a believer, is hope. Hope comes out of you. God grows us through this affliction, this suffering, and that's not all that God does. God also proves you. The word used there, it means you've been examined, you've been tried, you've been tested. You've been in this furnace, this fire, where there's pain and trouble and affliction, and the dross is burned off of you, the things you don't need, the things that you have vainly hoped in that are so fragile and vulnerable and deceptive. God has proven you. You can't trust in that. That will deceive you and betray you and hurt you deeply. God does that through suffering, doesn't he? That relationship that's outside of Christ, don't trust in that. That money that's fleeting, <laughs> don't trust in that. Your beauty, don't trust in that. Your power, your success, those things are vain hopes. Don't trust them. Enjoy them when God gives them to you, and he does sometimes. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every gift comes from God. It's, it's the Holy Spirit kissing you on the cheek and saying, I love you. I'm going to give this to you. I'm like this, but don't trust in it. Don't trust in it. And through suffering, God also prepares us for glory. He reminds us this world will pass away. 
Everything in it is going to pass away. It's fading even now. All flesh is like grass. It fades away. It's like the flowers. It blows away in the morning. Life is a vapor. You can breathe in a, on a morning like today and you can see your breath. That's how fleeting your life is. And suffering is a reminder. There's a glory to come. There's a restoration to come. God is going to come through Christ. He's not going to come as a suffering servant this time. He's going to come as a reigning triumphant king. And he's going to right every wrong. And he's going to vindicate his righteousness. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to give you a new glorious body. That's good news. If you're over 40, it's really good news to you right now. If you're in your 20s, you're living the illusion. I was too. Don't worry about it. Come back in 10 years and we'll talk. <laughs> I had to watch our six kids this weekend. My, my wife was away. And man, I'm, feel, I'm telling you, man. This morning, I was like, Lord, please. If I say anything that makes sense, it's all you. It's all you. I told my wife, nobody died and we're all hydrated, so don't even ask. So we suffer, we're squeezed, there's pressure, but Paul says here we can rejoice even in that. In fact, we should. We, we're not sadistic and stoic. We don't just say, well, bring on the suffering because I love suffering. I want to punish myself. We don't do that. No, this is saying in your suffering, you can still rejoice because there's something you have there's something you have, believer, within you that suffering can't touch. In fact, suffering only enhances it. It makes you lean in more closely to it. And that is you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have hope that's untouchable. You have joy that's unassailable. And all of this, Paul's argument is, because you've been justified by Jesus. Something was done for you on behalf of you that you couldn't do for yourself. It was done freely. It's unconditionally. It's one-way love. You're a receptacle for it. it was, you were passive in it. All you did was sin. Jesus did the justifying and the saving. And he traded, Jesus came and traded places with us, guilty criminals. And he, he was glad to do it. And we're justified. We're right with God. And because of that, there's all these benefits that we unwrap like a Christmas tree on Christmas morning. We keep opening gifts. Paul keeps saying, and not only that, but this. And not only this, but that, and not only that, but even more so this. This whole passage is incredible. And one person has called this the happiest text in all the Bible. It was Martin Luther. I love it when somebody like Martin Luther tells me, hey, pay attention to this text. Of course, they always say it about every text, don't they? This is the most important chapter in the Bible until the next chapter, and then that one is, and then the next chapter. This is a really pivotal chapter in Romans. This is Paul's magnum opus of theology. This book is, this letter, this epistle. And what's so interesting to me about this is, for the first time in Romans, Paul talks about God's love. This is the first time he mentions God's love, chapter 5. And we find along with Paul mentioning love, he also mentions something else for the first time. He mentions the Holy Spirit. God's love and God's Holy Spirit are inextricably linked together. <clears throat> One of them, he, the Holy Spirit, shows you the other and gives you assurance of the other and makes the other come alive and become more real to you. And this is what Paul is talking about here. So he says, not only can you rejoice in your suffering, but there's a hope that comes with that. And here's why. Check this out. Verse 3. Let's pick it up there. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing... So Paul's arguing right now. We know, we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame 
Because God's love has been poured into our, heart, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, full stop. Let's just park the car, pull over, and camp out there for a little while. We have a hope that will not leave us ashamed. Some translations read that. This hope, thank you, this hope will not make us ashamed. It will not disappoint you. It's not going to leave you stranded and trick you and betray you. And a lot of people expositing and preaching on this say this is... This is talking about the final day of judgment. Don't worry, God's not going to trick you. You won't be ashamed. And that is true. We have that hope, don't we? I have hope that when the day of judgment comes and I stand before my maker, Jesus is not going to say, oh, you just thought the gospel said you just trusted me. No, there was a lot of other stuff you had to do. I'm sorry, now I've got to judge you. You had, you had a bucket list of stuff you had to do for me. You had to be the most devoted human being on the face of the planet. You had to go get the broomstick of the wicked witch of the West and bring it back. You had to fulfill all this stuff. No, we know that we're not going to be ashamed if we trust in Christ alone on the day of judgment. However, let me say this. The way this is worded, the grammar, the tense, he's talking about here and now. You don't have to wait until the day of judgment for your hope to be vindicated. God wants you to know right here, right now, to have clear and present assurance full assurance right now. You don't have to wait. God does not want you to wait. He doesn't want you to put off having uh, joy inexpressible and full of glory until the world ends and your health is falling apart. Most people try and wait that long. You don't have to. You shouldn't. God has something for you right here, right now, clear and present assurance. And whereas before Paul was arguing, he's, he's a master logician, not a magician, a logician. He's the master of logic. He argues. He reasons. He has a thesis that he works out. I love that about Paul. I taught logic at a Christian academy in Ormond. And man, Paul is the most logical person in the Bible when you read his arguments and his epistles. But for a moment, Paul stops arguing. He wants, he wants to usher in assurance in your heart. And, and he stops arguing. And he goes from an argument to an experience. And I come from Southern Baptist theology, which is good, deep, rich theology. And at the same time, when it comes to experience and feelings and emotions and the Holy Spirit, we get scared. <laughs> I don't know how many Southern Baptist people we have in here today, but I'm speaking for one that came from the Deep South, and Holy Spirit sometimes scares us. It's okay. We can admit that. I can. I'm being, I'm being real with you today. We, uh, my, my brother, Jeff Eckert, always says, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we put yellow police tape around it, and we say, nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Move along. We don't want to get all charismatic you know, and do something crazy. That's the way people think about it. We, sometimes we pit emotion uh, against truth as if they're mutually exclusive realities. Now, I told you last week that emotion doesn't drive the car. If it does, you'll go in the ditch. And emotions come and go. They're unreliable sometimes. But emotions are also God's good gift to us. God's emotional. Jesus wept, and he didn't need to be scolded for it, and he didn't apologize for it either. Don't you love that? Somebody cries, and what do they do? I'm sorry. Why are you apologizing? <laughs> Don't apologize. You're made in God's image. You, you are an image-bearing person with, with divine DNA in you. And you're showing what God is like. He's an emotional being, right? We're like him in that way. But so often we pit, we pit logic against fire. Martin Lloyd-Jones gave the greatest definition of preaching I've ever read. He said, preaching is logic on fire. If it's just logic, I'm giving you a lecture. I'm giving you information. I'm dumping data. And you leave here with new information that you may forget in two days. 
the crafty outlines I worked so long on, you may forget in two days. But, but listen, logic and fire, you don't just leave here with new information, you leave here with new affection. You leave here transformed, you leave here changed. So, so often we pit those things against one another, and God never does that. That's why I'm going to kind of park here this morning. I know I try to go quicker and take bigger chunks of Romans. That's been my pledge. We're going to go through this in two years if we can. But I just want to kind of park and just hover over this. Uh, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. What's he talking about there? What does that mean? Are we experiencing this? Should we? Is this something we should ask God to do within us and for us? If I can, can I geek out for a minute and put my scholar hat on? I love the language that the New Testament is written in. It's written in Koine Greek. And Greek is a beautiful language. And I can see why I believe the Holy Spirit chose Greek to write the New Testament because it has tenses that we don't have in English. It can communicate things grammatically that we can in English. That's why we're so often having to qualify things we read in the Bible because we don't have an English equivalent. When it says that the love of God has been poured out in our heart, it sounds like it's something that's done and over with, right? Well, that's already done. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you didn't, you missed it. Sorry. No, that's in a perfect, the perfect tense. And it means this. It means a completed action with continuing results. It's been completed. It's been done. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. He has been given to you. And you have tasted this. You have tasted the love of God being poured out in your hearts. That happened when you were converted. But it should have ongoing effects. It's a completed action with abiding results. That honestly, the people that I'm, that I'm reading and the people that I talk to, many people don't continually enjoy this. And a lot of them, my constituents, like Baptists, because they're scared of it. They say, I don't, don't want to roll in the aisle and start barking like a dog. It doesn't say anything about that here at all. But it does say this is an experience. Paul goes from an argument to an experience. And I would describe it like this. I could tell you, I could tell you, hey, look, there's a bucket of cold water over there. And if you pour that, if I pour that on your head, it will refresh you. It's cold. It will wake you up. It will awaken you. <laughs> on a morning like this, it will. And I can begin to describe the properties in the water. I can even go to the periodic table and say that it's H2O. There's hydrogen and there's two oxygens. Am I getting that right? Or is it two hydrogens? Anyway, I can tell you and there's cubes of ice in there. And uh, this is what it's going to look like when we pick up the bucket. It weighs about three pounds. I can, I can argue about all of that. Or I can just pick that bucket of water up and carry it over to you and say, this is what being refreshed by cool water is like and dump it on you. Which would you rather have? Well, you may not want cold water dumped on you. Let me say it this way. Sometimes I'll cook something for my kids. Now, my wife does 99% of the cooking, so I don't want to misrepresent here our house. But I like to play around in the kitchen. I know cooking like I know karate, just enough to be dangerous, right? And I'll play around in the kitchen. And when I'm, when I'm cooking something for my kids, uh, I, I want them to just stop and know how hard I worked. I, I, I'll make chocolate chip cookies from scratch. No, not really from scratch. I use the dough, but I do it in a special way. And I'll say, listen, kids, I want you to do something for me. I want you to, to sit still, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to open your mouth, and I want you to enjoy this experience because I've prepared something for you that I want you to enjoy. Now, what if they open their, <laughs> open their mouth and close their eyes, and I read to them a description of everything in the cookie? There's chocolate chips, and there's butter, and there's brown sugar, and there's oil, and 
organic sugar maybe, whatever it is, how disappointing will that be? I mean, maybe not disappointing, it will, it will help build anticipation. Like, man, that sounds wonderful. I can't wait. And I say, well, but that's it. I just, that's it. I told you. The cook- cookies are amazing. It's great. You'd love it. Or I could just shove that cookie in their mouth and say, now enjoy that. Or, or put some roasted lamb shoulder in their mouth that's been seasoned perfectly. Right? That's the difference between what Paul has been doing that's been leading up to this and the experience that he's talking about. The love of God has been poured out. That poured out equates to an experience. It's something that happens to you. And it's in the passive tense. You don't conjure this up. You don't work this up. You don't go out and get this experience. That's why it's so strange to people. You're like, all right, pastor, I can't wait for you to tell me how to do it. Well, it's kind of odd. I mean, you don't really do it. It's done to you. It's something you can, you can pray for. I do. Like, Lord, I want the assurance of your presence and your power poured out in my heart. I know only your Holy Spirit can do that. And you've promised to do that. And pray like Moses did. Lord, show me your glory. I want to ask bold things of God. This is not something God wants to withhold from you. This is not something that he's just uh, rationing out. I mean, the Holy Spirit has been given to you, yes. But this experience has been done within you. And, and can be continually done in you. Through the, through the work of the Spirit. It's, it's not as if God... Uh, says, here you go, now go and do this for yourself. Like you're driving through the back of a fast food restaurant, and he has to hand this outside the window in a greasy bag, and he says, here you go, come back when you need more. No, God is not entrusting this to us because we would mess it up. In fact, a lot of people do mess this up. That's why there's so many crazy things that go, that go on when, when people think about this, and they're kind of led away from Scripture and way off base of what Paul's talking about here. This is something that God does through the agency and the presence and the power of His Holy Spirit within our hearts. And it's beautiful and it's powerful. And really the context of this is suffering. Now here's what's interesting about this. Paul is talking about assurance. How can you and I be assured of God's love to us? That God is with us. That He's pleased with us. That He's never going to leave us, forsake us, or abandon us. What would be the greatest experience of assurance for you? I mean, some people, some people have weird, like, you know, I got, a, I got a parking spot up front at Publix. There you go. <laughs> That's it. God loves me so much, he gave me that. Um, but what's going to happen when he doesn't give you that then? Well, we talked about this a little bit last week, didn't we? About adversity and prosperity. Or, hey, look, I finally found a spouse. There's assurance that God loves me. Wonderful, that's great. And the Bible does say, he who finds, uh, he who obtains a wife obtains a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So it's true that a spouse is a gift from God, right? Um, but what about all the other people out there that love Jesus and they desperately want to be married and they don't have, the, they don't have a spouse yet, or maybe they never get a spouse. So can, are they robbed of their experience of assurance? I mean, I want you guys to think deeply about these things. What experience is it that would testify to you that God's assurance is yours, that you can trust him? Because it's, it's interesting, a lot of the things that, that maybe we would, we would trust in for that are nowhere in the ballpark of suffering. Nowhere in the, in fact, suffering would be a threat to them. And Paul says the opposite here. It's interesting, some of the stories that I've been reading, if you've, have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? And read the amazing assurance that some of the 
men and women of God had as they were being tortured and killed for Jesus. Some of them were burned alive and they were singing hymns. I was talking to my kids about this last night. And they were like, Daddy, are you saying that if somebody walked in with a gun and said, testify to Jesus, you know, we had, it, was a good, it was a good conversation with my children. It's hard to read those things and imagine, how did they find the strength to do that? How were they singing hymns as, as they were literally lit on fire? I was reading the testimony of one, I think it was Thomas Cran- Cranmer, maybe? have to double check that. But uh, he recanted. It was a really uh, intense time of persecution in England when thrones were teetering and tottering and, and there were different, uh, different sects of, of Christianity and different cults coming and going and in charge and Protestant evangelicals were, were running for their life. And one of the leaders, they said, look, if you don't recant of this gospel of justification by faith alone, we're going to burn you alive in front of your entire congregation. And in a moment of weakness, he says, in a moment of weakness, he recanted and he signed the recantation with his right hand. And then immediately he was struck with conviction. I should not have done that. Why did I do that? Jesus is more precious to me than that. And so the very following Sunday when they showed up to see if he was going to preach this same gospel, he preached it. And he said, I recant of my recantation. And he said, I know what you're going to do. Light me on fire, baby. I don't care. I'm kind of paraphrasing. I don't think he said it that way. But they did. They tied him up in the public square. They put firewood. Can you just, can you just imagine? Can you imagine you're being tied to a, a pole and all your congregations there, and they're putting firewood. I mean, what would be going through your mind, man? What would be going through your mind? And they lit the fire, and here's what Thomas Cramner cried out. He said, let the hand that denied Christ be burnt first, and he thrust it in the fire because he signed his recantation with his right hand. Now, how in the world do you get that kind of strength and that assurance, man? I think some of the answer is right here, and you find as you read history and biographies, when God's children were in the throes of this squeezing, this, this affliction, this pressure, tribulation, and trouble, it's when they experienced this to the highest degree. I mean, the parking spot up front at Publix, that's, that's well and good, but that can't, compa- com- that can't compare, can it, to let the hand that has denied Christ be burned first. I mean, I'm not there, but God doesn't give us grace for our imaginations, does he? So anyway, all of that was introduction. These are the, the points. Uh, and I'm not going to get to all of them today. I told you we're parking, so you can, you can relax. I'm not going to keep you here all day, okay? Point number one, God pours out his love. This whole passage is about basking in God's love. I don't know, what, what do you think of when I say the word basking? Y'all can talk back. Sunbathing, yeah, that's right. Like a lizard on a, on a warm rock on a cold day, right? or I guess maybe a warm day, basking. What does it mean? It means to, um, careful with the imagery here, it means to lie exposed to the thing that you most want to benefit from, right? See, I knew a few of you would chuckle and giggle there. It means you, you are putting yourself in the greatest, most strategic, advantageous position to derive benefit from something that you know can bless you, right? We're basking in it, or you could say maybe we're, uh, we're binging on it if it, was, if it was a series or a Netflix show. You want this. You need this. You want to absorb this as much as possible. And listen, everybody is basking in something. I told you last week we're all full of something, right? It's true. And when we get squeezed, whatever is we're full of comes out and oozes out, but we're all basking in something too. And my, my growing conviction this year 
as I talk to other brothers and sisters in Christ and talk to you and have lunch with you and do counseling, is, man, we're not basking in God's love. We're basking in other things that aren't helping us. That's why so often when I talk to Christians, they are emotionally, they are emotionally exhausted and they're spiritually depleted because they're basking in things that are not benefiting them at all. We're letting the world tell us what we need to bask in. This trouble, that trouble, this conflict, that conflict, political rancor, economic woes, instability, anger, conflict, all these questions. This is not the most real thing to us. God's love is not the the most real thing to us. Let me say that again. Whatever you're basking in is what is the most real thing to you. What is the most certain thing to you at the moment? That's what you're basking in. And to us, the most real, the most threatening thing is, well, what's going to happen tomorrow with the economy and the the Dow Jones and the whatever? Or what's going to happen at the mid-election term? Or what's going to happen? We're basking in those things. We're playing that song over and over again in our heads. And it's not helping us. It's not serving us well. That's why I think it's so rare for this experience, which the Bible talks about in other places. Here, here's, here's one of those places. Let me see. Can you guys see that? Check this out. This is the Apostle Peter, and he says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Man, that, we're gonna, I'm just going to preach on that one week. Did you, you get that? God says sometimes it's necessary for his children to, to suffer. If that throws a monkey wrench in your theology, let it. Let it stop the machine and wreck the wheel. (laughs) You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness, that is the, your faith is examined, of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And what? You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Hallelujah. I think that's what he's talking about here. Peter said it. Paul said it. Paul's going to say it again in Romans 8. He's going to drill way down deep in chapter 8. He's going to say this. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You're not basking in that, he says. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So here's the Holy Spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So did you you get that? Suffering, the Holy Spirit, this experience, and glory. And a lot of it is in the midst of trials and afflictions, trouble and pressure. Man, I love the way Peter says it. We rejoice with joy inexpressible. and what is, what is he saying? He's saying words would fail me. I can't, I can't describe to you what God has done in my heart, this assurance. D.L. Moody was walking across a street in Chicago once, and he wrote in his biography. He was overcome. He was arrested and captivated and awakened by this overwhelming outpouring of God's love for him, and it was so intense, he had to say, Lord, please stay your hand or I'll die. I read things like that, and I'm like, man, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and that's not the purpose of those, to feel jealousy or envy. I just think some of those men and some of those women, they were basking in something that we don't bask in as often as they do. 
We, they were, we, we think they were so godly, they were so devoted, we could never attain. You're not thinking about it the right way. Maybe they were in a, just a different place where God's love was just shining down and pouring down on them, right? I stick with my premise. This is not something we do or cause to do, but I will tell you this, what Paul's going to tell us in the rest of this chapter that we'll get into next week, there's a place you can be where this is most likely to happen. We have, we have two lamps on the front of our garage, and they're... Uh, Three years ago, I found this humongous gecko out there. And I was like, man, that's a beautiful creature. And it was hanging out by the lamp. It was just sitting there. And I was like, what, what's he doing there? And then uh, I told my kids about it, and we kind of followed this gecko. And he, he had a, a mate, and they had children. There's geckos all over the place. I mean, there's so many geckos by our front lamps at night on our porch that the, there's, there's gecko poop there. Every morning, I go, it's hard, and I go flick it off. Why? Because they're, they're right, they stay there every night. And then it hit me one night. I'm kind of slow sometimes. Why do those geckos stay right there and hang out right there? What's, what's there? The bugs, the mosquitoes, the gnats. And man, they fill themselves up every single night. And they do, di- they do gecko diarrhea all over, the, <laughs> all over the wall. They're in the most strategic position to be filled up right there. That's where they're at. Not out in the bushes, not down in the bark, not on the roof. That's not what's going to happen. If you want to be struck by lightning, go hold a metal rod. And I mean, don't do this. It's just an illustration. I've got to protect ourselves from litigation here. If you want to get struck by lightning, go stand in an electrical storm and hold something metal, right? And you're most likely to be struck by lightning there. That's where it will happen. And Paul's going to tell us, I'll get more into this next week, that this uh, gospel doctrine, this gospel truth, Basking in this, meditating on this, considering this, contemplating this. That's where this is most likely to happen. But this is, this is an experience. Oh yeah, my outline, I'm sorry. I'm just going to cover point one today. God pours out his love. If you're basking in it, God pours out his love. Secondly, God demonstrates his love. That's in the second part of this passage. It says God shows us. Or God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were sinners, he died for us. And then he goes, there's like three degrees. While we were sinners, he died for us. While we, were weak, while we were weak, without strength, he died for us. When we were enemies, he died for us. So there's a demonstration of his love too. And then third, he applies his love in the very last part of this passage. But today, as we, uh, as we finish out here, I just want us to look at the last, excuse me, the first point. God pours out his love. And this is, this is an experience that happens to us. It doesn't happen out there. It happens in here when everything else out there is crumbling. And maybe even when everything else in here is crumbling, this is an experience that the Holy Spirit gives us. It's what grips us at the moment. It's what becomes most real to us. Uh, and let me, let me put it like this. I've, I've shared this illustration before, so if you've heard it before, that's okay. Uh, one of my favorite writers is Timothy Keller, and uh, he was in Virginia, his first pastoral assignment. He was in Hopewell, Virginia, which was a totally different place than he grew up, and uh, there was a family in that church, and they said, Pastor, our, our teenage daughter's depressed. We're really worried about her. We don't know what's wrong. She's sad. We can't talk any sense into her. Will you meet with her? He said, sure. So we met with her, and he said, uh, you know, you, you seem sad. She said, yeah, I'm sad. I'm depressed. I can't shake this. And he said, well, you know, Jesus loves you, and Jesus died for you. And he rose from the grave. He went to the cross and she just interrupted him. She said, Pastor, 
you know, no offense, I know all this. I already know all this. I know that Jesus loves me. I know that he died for me on the cross. I know that he's forgiven me of my sins, that he rose from the grave to prove it, and that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And Keller was like, he said, I was just a young pastor. I was like, man. And she said, but, but what good is all of that when no boy in the entire school even knows my name? Now, look, I'm not, I'm not poking at a, at a, at a teenage kid because didn't we all? We all thought like that. If you're a teenager in here, that may be your MO too, right? But here's what, here's what my point is. Keller said a light switch went on for him, and he said she has an opinion that God loves her. She has an opinion of it. She hasn't experienced it yet. The most real thing to her right now, the center of her gravity, what's, what has arrested her and captivated her and is holding her hostage is the affection of those boys. That's the most real thing to her. And this experience that I'm talking about is what the Holy Spirit does to us in our heart. He pours out God's love. That word pours out, it means to gush. It's not rationing out, here's one for you, one for me. This is God like gushing his love in your heart through his Holy Spirit. It's like there's this dam up, up here and it burst and outflows this divine love. That if God didn't restrain it, it could kill us, right? It's, it's what Daniel, I was reading through Daniel last week. And Daniel falls on his face like a dead man at, the, at, the, at this vision that he gets of the glory of God. And an angel has to come and strengthen him. And it says, oh, Daniel, greatly beloved of God. He tells him that three times. And I was thinking as I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm thinking, man, oh, that I could hear that. And it was almost as if God says, I whispered it to him. I've shouted it to you. You've got the New Testament. You've got the cross. <laughs> God whispers his love in some places, and he shouts it in other places, right? We have more clarity than Daniel ever had. How would you feel right now if God came down to you and said, you are greatly beloved, I'm so committed to you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I want you. And yes, I know all the deep, dark things you've done, all the deep, dark thoughts you have, but I still want you. I'm still committed to you. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin illustrated this. He said this. He said, a man and his little child, imagine, they're walking down the road hand in hand, and the child knows that he is the son of his father, and he knows that his father loves him, and he rejoices in that. And he is happy in that. There's no uncertainty about it at all. But suddenly, the father, moved by some impulse, takes hold of the child, picks him up, takes him up in his arms, kisses him, embraces him, and showers him with love and affection. Then he puts him down again, and they continue walking on their way. See, before, the child knew that his father loved him. He knew, that's my daddy. I'm his child. My daddy loves me. But oh, to be picked up and to be held and to be embraced and to be kissed and to be showered with affection and with assurance for no reason. You didn't do anything. The father was just overcome with his love for you. That, I believe, I, and many other people believe, is the experience he's talking about here. I drove by. This has been years ago. I, I was driving down Orange City over where our office is, and it was pouring down rain. And uh, I like, to put, I like to put narratives together when I see something happen. It may or may not be accurate, but I have to do that. That's how it makes sense of the world. There was a kid on his phone. He's a teenager. He was bawling. He was on the phone. He was doing hand gestures. He was walking around oblivious to the rain. And, he, and he, there was a nice car, and it was crumbled in the front. He had a terrible wreck at this accident, and it shook him bad. 
And the, the car was pretty much totaled, and he had a nice car, and I could tell it was his fault. And he was on the phone. I don't know who he was on the phone with. This kid was shaking up bad. And I'm not going to apologize. You don't apologize when you cry, do you? And I saw a man swoop in in his car, and he got out of the car, and he walked over to this child, and he put his hand on his shoulder. And the kid turned around, and, and if I'm remembering right, I think he may have dropped his phone. And the dad, it had to be, I'm, I'm putting this scenario together, it had to be his dad. I mean, it wasn't a stranger, that'd be weird. Picked this kid up, man, off the ground. They're both being drenched in the rain, oblivious to it. He, whoever was on that phone was unimportant to him. Probably it wasn't his mom, because mom usually want mommy, when you're suffering. But this dad walked up to him, and at his most vulnerable moment, probably, you can imagine a teenager, you got your parents' car, you wreck it, it's your fault. You're thinking, oh, I'm dead, I'm dead. And the dad walks up and embraces his son. They're just, you're just holding one another, rocking back and forth. And I thought, I was just in tears when I drove by, and, and I thought, man, that's how God loves us right there. Can you imagine how important that was for that, for that son to know? Did I, his dad didn't show up and start pointing and like shaking his finger in his face. That's how we think God is sometimes, isn't it? He showed up and the kid dropped his, he was basking in his father's love. That's the kind of experience this is talking about. Plenty of people have written about it. Let me, let me read a testimony to you. And I'm picking who I'm reading this from for, for careful reasons as a Southern Baptist. This is John Owen. He, he is a, he's an English Puritan, one of the greatest minds theologically that Britain ever produced. He's the most careful thinker and the most trusted uh, person to read. And he wrote an entire works on the Holy Spirit, and it's helped me tremendously. He, he writes about this passage, and he says this, talking about the Spirit. He says the Comforter, which is another word for the Holy Spirit. The Comforter gives us sweet and plentiful evidence and persuasion of the love of God to us such as the soul is taken, delighted, satiated completely. This is his work to give a poor, sinful soul a comfortable persuasion affecting him throughout in all his faculties and affections that God and Christ Jesus loves him, delights in him, is pleased with him, has thoughts of tenderness and kindness toward him. This is an inexpressible mercy. And he goes on to say this, we see it by daily experience that very many have little taste and sweetness and relish in their souls of those truths which they know and believe. He's talking about the gospel, like that girl, yeah, I know all that. I know all that. I know Jesus loves me and died for me. I know I'm going to go to heaven. He says, we see by daily experience not very many have a taste and sweetness and relish in their souls of these truths, but when we are taught by this unction Oh, how sweet is everything we know of God. When we find any of the good truths of the gospel come home to our souls with life, vigor, and power, giving us gladness of heart, the Holy Ghost is then at work pouring out His oil. So sure, you can argue, you, we, we can argue, uh, yeah, I know God loves me because it says whoever believes is not condemned. I have believed, therefore I'm not condemned. You can argue that way, but... I think this is even a higher form of assurance. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this is the highest form of assurance that a person can have because it's living and it's real and it's done by a person. It's not ink on paper, even though the Holy Spirit uses Scripture. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit pouring out God's love for you in your heart, and it's inexpressible. 
It's pretty amazing, isn't it, to think about? It's been impacting me this week as I've read this and studied this. This is, uh, and I'll close with this, okay? Paul prayed for this in Ephesians 3. You know, sometimes when I come up here, I'll pray. Lord, fill me with your spirit today and, and come down. Fall upon this congregation. Fill us all with, with your spirit. And people have asked me, not with an accusation or accosting me, uh, but say, hey, can I ask you a question? Why do you pray for something that God has already done? Um, he's already told us that he's filled us with his spirit, which is true. He has. And I always tell them, because I want to be a good pastor, and as I read the Apostle Paul and Timothy and other pastors in the New Testament, they do the exact same thing that I just did. In fact, I want to, I want to read uh, this prayer of Paul. Here it is, Ephesians 3. He says, for this reason, you can't see it up here, it's, it's above it. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul's talking about, I'm praying to this congregation at Ephesus. Pastor Timothy is there, and Paul's writing them a letter, and he's saying, I'm praying for you. What are you praying, Paul? That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, note that, in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So here's Paul praying for a congregation. I want you to comprehend and understand the depths of the riches of God's love. I want you to not just know the gospel, but experience and enjoy the gospel. He's praying that their eyes would be open, that they would be strengthened in their inner man, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. So that's why I preach on this, that's why Paul wrote this, and that's why I pray the way I pray before I preach. Man, there's so much more here to share, but uh, that's the beauty of going slow. We're going to stop, and we're going to come back to this next week and finish out point one and get to the rest of it. So I feel like I've been all over the place today. I hope this encourages you. I hope that, uh, uh, and I want to be clear, everyone in this congregation who is a believer can experience this, and you have experienced it. Remember, it is in the perfect tense. It is a past action that's completed with ongoing results. So that's the good news, is this is available to anybody. And this is something that the Holy Spirit does to you. It's not something you can go out and work up and conjure up uh, all this devotion and energy to do, and the means through which he does it, we're going to see next week, and, and the next few verses here, is these rich gospel truths that Paul keeps reminding us of, because you're getting an apprehension of how deep the Father's love for you is. He's going to demonstrate that to you, and in that place, that's where the Holy Spirit will, will fill your heart again. It's, it's like a, have you guys ever been to Blue Springs? Down here, there's a 120-foot deep limestone cavern. I don't know if you've ever scuba dove down there. Um, but 106 million gallons of fresh water through the aquifer comes up through that. It's, it's interesting. If you ever swim down there with your goggles on to see it, um, you can actually see the movement of the water. It looks like it's heated. They call it boils, but it's not hot. It's not super hot. It's 72 degrees. And 106 gallons of that every single day in Blue Springs wells up. And that's really what the Holy... It's not that the Holy Spirit is outside of you and he's, and he's pouring God's love on you again. It's the Holy Spirit is inside of you. 
So rather than a waterfall, this is like blue springs, right? You've got all the things that are necessary inside of you for this to happen. You've got God's Holy Spirit inside of you. You've got gospel truth that you need to immerse yourself in and meditate on and bask in. And that's when God's Spirit pours this out again in new and fresh and powerful ways. That's an experience I want. That's an experience I need. And that's an experience uh, that God delights to give us. So I pray, I pray that you have it. I pray that gospel clarity and gospel wakefulness brings this. So let's pray. And we'll close out today. Lord, I pray that nothing I've said has, uh, has troubled or confused anybody today. I pray that we would see that this is, this is all in your word, Lord. And I know it, it makes some people nervous when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And maybe that even grieves him, Lord, that we, we try to tiptoe so carefully, maybe because of, of abuses that we've seen, Lord. Uh, but I thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he is here with us today. He is inside of us. He takes the truths of the gospel, of the sacrifice, the death, the resurrection, and the glory of Christ, and he manifests that to us, Lord. He shows us the glory of Christ. He makes it come alive. He gives us divine illumination and gives us understanding, and we're grateful for that ministry. We're grateful for the function of the Holy Spirit to give us assurance, among the other things he does, to give us guidance, Lord, to to give us wisdom, to give us power, to give us hope. He gives us assurance that God is within us and that God is for us, and we give you thanks for that today. And I pray if there's anybody here, Lord, that has not basked in that love of God that so desperately needs it, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would come and would open their eyes to see the danger that they're in, Lord, the, the sins that they have not repented of, the guilt that they have incurred, the wrath of God that looms over them. And I pray that they would see that Jesus came and traded places with them. He absorbed that wrath. Your love can be poured out on us only because God's wrath has been poured out on Christ. What a thought, Lord. What a truth that is. Help us to see that today. Help us to see how costly and sacrificial the love of God was. And that he was glad to do it on our behalf because of his love for us. Not because we were lovable. Not because we were devoted. Not because we were faithful, Lord. We're not. We're not any of those things. This passage is not talking about the love that we have for God. It's talking about the love that God has for us. Not because of our devotion, but because of His, because of yours. So I pray you would pour out your love in our hearts today through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to see with new eyes the glory, the power, the beauty, the love of Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team plays, this is our song of reflection. We have a prayer team in the back that would love to pray with you that would love to meet with you, hear from you. Um, Maybe this is just time for you to sit in your seat right now and pray, Lord, will you do this for me? Will you do this to me? Will you do this within me? Will you just pour out your love through your Holy Spirit? Help me to see the glory of the cross. Help me to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Help me to experience his power in new ways so that I can endure suffering and boast in my suffering and exult in my suffering because you want me to and that gives you honor. Or they're there now, if you want to pray to receive Christ, if you've never repented of your sins and looked to the cross as the only way that you could be brought to God, they would love to, to help you. So let's do that now. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Lord, be with us today, we pray in your name and in your power. Amen.
gifts have come to you. In darkest places I will fall. Incline my ear to me anew. In heal my prideful mercy, come to make a way and God himself had paid the price that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice
Father God, we just praise you. Father, I pray that we would just have a submission to you, Father. That we would allow your Holy Spirit to well up inside of us and pour out, Father. And that we would not look at it as a sign of weakness as I did for so long, Father. And even now, sometimes, Father, I look at it like times when we are filled with the emotion, Father. Or when you've called us to say something to somebody, Father, or you've laid something on our heart and we look at it as, as a weakness, Father, and we get scared and we push it down and we don't want to step forward, Father. If that means that we're denying you in the workplace or in a public place, Father, or whatever they may look like, Father, you would just fill us with your Holy Spirit, Father, and we would not look at it as weakness, Father, as something that we need to push down and hide, that we would be able to just step out in faith, Father. That we would not be ashamed of you and ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of who you have called us to be, Father. Whether that's in our relationship with our spouse, our work relationships, or the relationships with our children, Father, that you would just be able to speak through us, Father, and you would give us strength that surpasses all understanding, Father. We just praise you and we love you. Father, we just pray that we would be able to turn to you this week and that you would speak us, Father, through your word, that we would just be able to engulf ourselves in you, Father. Because without you, we are not going to be able to do it. We're going to try to do it on our own, in our own strength, Father, and we are going to fail every single time. And we're not going to be able to take the glory, Father. It's all going to be for you, and we are going to worship you through it all, Father. We just praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. hope your soul is satisfied this morning. I love that line. We just have a few announcements and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, the first one relates to this coming Friday, the 19th. We have an opportunity to serve the teachers here at Deltona High School in this campus where we meet. We happen to be serving the best chicken on the planet um, to them, but we need some helpers. So as you can see, it's at 7.30 this Friday morning. If you're available, if you can get here that early, um, preferably even a little bit earlier than that, to help serve the teachers, we could really use your help. So if you would, get in touch with Pastor Tommy. Um, you don't have to bring anything. Just the serving hands. So that's this Friday, the 19th, I think it is. Yeah, the 19th. And maybe if you could be here at 7, 7.15 or whatever, just coordinate with Pastor Tommy if you're available. Second announcement has to do with our community groups. 
And I have a question for you. Does anybody know what they call a group of grizzly bears? Correct. No. Nobody knows, right? Grizzly bear biologists don't know. Because grizzly bears don't really get together. They're kind of grumpy like that, right? Even grizzly bears don't like other grizzly bears. What do you call a group of sheep? Flock, right? Everybody knows a flock of sheep. Because sheep do get together. Sheep need to be together. Right? You with me? You following where I'm going with this? Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my grizzly bear herder. I sh no. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. God says we're sheep. We need each other. We need to be together for safety, for protection, for a hundred other reasons. Sundays are great. Sundays are fantastic. And the fact that we're sheep and we need to do life together is one of the reasons why we meet on Sundays. But Sundays are not enough, right? How many of you go home after Sunday and you go, oh, that's plenty of Christians until next week? If you talk with me, that may be a response, but hopefully not. We want to be together throughout the week as well. As a smaller group gathering, we want to be able to share life, do life, pray together, enjoy each other's company, and also continue to worship. So scan the QR code or go to the church website. We have five different community groups that meet throughout the week across the area, different nights of the week, all kinds of different situations, families. Uh, we got it covered. So get together with the body of Christ. That's another illustration God uses. We're all members of the same body, right? So don't be a lone earlobe all by yourself. Get together with the community group. The last announcement is the 5th, Sunday, December 5th. We're having kind of a kickoff planning meeting for the student ministry. Uh, how excited are you guys that Pastor Matt is here? Right? It's, it's time for the kind of the next step, the next evolution in our church. If you want to be part of helping to plan the student ministry, we're going to meet right after the service. May or may not have lunch. Here there's a strong possibility for those of you who just show up for the pizza. This is another great chance, like you. <laughs> Let's stand together. We'll say our charge, and then we'll be dismissed. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Hey, if there's anyone here from the Osteen Community Group, can you guys uh, come talk to me before you guys leave? We have some plans for Thursday. <laughs>